responsibility to God, everyone, without exception, is responsible to obey what God tells them they ought to do or not do, and that they under, are under a strict ordinance of obedience. In fact, it's on the basis of their compliance with the commandments of God upon which they shall be judged. All the unsaved shall be judged based upon how well or how poorly they have complied with the commandments that God has given them to obedience. In fact, the word obedience means compliance, means cooperation, means submission, means all of those things. Probably more than that, too. I have several passages of Scripture because I'm going to approach this subject uh, from at least two different perspectives. And I must tell you that I was at a loss as to which one to use for our opening text, but I suppose we ought to start at the beginning where the first act of disobedience occurred, and that would be in the book of Genesis, the third chapter. So if you take your Bibles, please, and turn there, Genesis chapter 3. There. Yeah, now I feel better. Genesis chapter 3, the account here in the third chapter of Genesis, at least where we're going to begin, at the seventh verse, is the condition of Adam and Eve, the only two living people on earth, first two people on earth, after they had exercised their self-will in an act of disobedience to God. What happened to them? The attendant result, not only to them, but of course to us as well. The eyes of both of them were opened, and, in, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not? eat. And I think we'll stop there now and let's look to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father and God, which art in heaven, we ask now that you would bring our minds and our thoughts into captivity of thy spirit, that we might not simply learn some things from the scripture, but that those things which are taught in the scripture might be part of us, part of our living, part of our thinking, part of our acting that we might be an obedient people and a happy people. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I suppose that when one hears the term obey or one hears the term submit or comply, a negative thought is produced generally. By that I mean sounds as though the person who is doing the obeying, the submitting, the submitting, the complying is doing something they really don't want to do. That they're doing it against their better judgment or against their will or they won't do it at all because it is against their will. That's the, that's the stigma that the very word obey 
carries with it today. You can't talk to, to most enlightened women today on the subject of submission to their husbands or being under the headship of their husbands without, their becoming, without them becoming considerably rankled at the very idea. And, and yet there is very little understanding of really what that means in, in, in the real term of it. And, and setting that aside for a moment, that relationship between husband and wife, I would like for us to confine our thoughts and our ideas to our relationships to our God. Because that's really what we're going to be talking about this evening. Obedience doesn't produce bondage. Obedience produces freedom. That's my first premise. Obedience produces freedom. And the reason why it does is because it keeps our relationship with God open and free. If we don't obey, if we disobey God, it shuts down our communication and thus our close relationship with God himself or with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, it is an accurate and true statement that obedience produces freedom. Subjection, in this case, produces freedom. Adam and Eve got what they wanted. And there's no question that they got what they wanted. Got an intimate knowledge of both good and evil. But they got that by doing evil. They got what they wanted by doing evil, by committing an evil act. And what was their evil act, simply stated? Their act was to disobey God, to do what they were told not to do. God also operates in the negative sphere in terms of, of human ideas, and sometimes he tells us not to do some things that we want to do. Nevertheless, that was the case with Adam and Eve. The idea that freedom is doing anything we want is, is simply an illusion. No such thing as absolute freedom. And in a relationship with our God, that certainly is the case. It's also case. That's also the case in marriage. You know, husbands are not free to do whatever they wish to do, nor are wives free to do whatever they wish to do either. It's, it's a matter of if a relationship is going to be maintained, one has to understand the principle of obedience. He does not understand the principle and what it produces. He's in for difficult time, or she, are in for difficult times. So God says that true freedom comes from obedience and knowing what not to do, as well as what to do. One needn't do evil things to gain more experience and learn more about life. It is not necessary for one to become worldly wise and disobeying God to get that way. It simply is a action which will lead to disaster, and I mean true disaster. Second point I would like to make is that obedience is in our best interest. Obeying God is in our best interest. Not only does it produce freedom, it is in our best interest. God has called us to keep his commandments, and he reminds us that his laws are not hidden from us, or impossible to obey for that matter, although it may seem that way at times. But you know, think about this. The degree of difficulty to obey what God says we ought to do or ought not to do is directly proportionate to our relationship to him. If it's a good relationship with him, a close relationship with him, it is not as difficult to obey as if our relationship is not close to him. We find it nearly impossible to obey God when we are far from him. When we have removed ourselves from his word, from his presence in prayer, from his 
being in our minds and in our hearts. If our minds and hearts are fixed and, and, and filled with so many other things pertaining to life, so that there's no room in our thought processes for him, it will be very difficult to obey God. And that is why for many of us, we find that to obey his commandments is hard, whereas God himself does not make it that way. He reminds us what his laws are, and he reminds us it's not impossible to obey. Is obedience too difficult? The answer obviously is no. Not God's commandments that are difficult. It's overcoming our own self-will that is difficult. We need to get our wills in compliance. I mean, there's, whatever code of behavior could be placed in front of us, if God places it there, and you're a child of God, you have to know it's for your good. You have to know that. You have to know that God is your Father, and there, whatever whatever standards He puts before you, are there for your good. You 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 need to know that. You need to believe that. I mean, that's part of faith. Isn't that the operation of faith? To believe that God has your best interest at heart and that and that he isn't going to tell you to be something or do something which is going to which is going to hurt your long-term interests? Of course not. He is never going to do that to you. So that's where the operation of faith comes in. And we need to know and understand that the difficulty that we have with obeying God is not because his commandments are too difficult, but that our wills are not in a compliant condition to obey him. And we need first to crucify ourselves before we will get to the place where we are compliant to the ordinances of God. I have a passage of scripture I'd like for you to turn to. It's in Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. By the way, for those of you who are uninitiated in, in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy is really a, a, a book of the Bible which records what Moses said to the nation of Israel immediately prior to, prior to their crossing the River Jordan and conquering Jericho and taking possession of the land that they had been hearing about for a long, long time, but had not possessed yet. And you may also recall that Moses who had led this people for, 30 long, for 40 long years through the wilderness, was not to himself go into the land, although God did allow him to look at it. He was able to have an overview. He was not allowed to go into the land. Here in the 30th chapter, uh, verses 11 through 19, and I, I think probably we're going to need, need to read all of them. I, I thought I had a couple of, I do have a couple. Maybe let me just look here for a moment. Now, let's start with the 11th verse. One, uh, excuse me. For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. Now, that translates, you know what it is, and it's not hard to do. That's, that's literally how that, how that verse translates. It is not in heaven that thou shouldst say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring on it unto us? that we may hear it and do it. Neither it is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes, and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land to which thou goest to possess it. 
But if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land to which thou passest over the Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That's a very powerful passage of scripture. Moses speaking God's words to the Hebrew people. Now I want you to notice that God makes very plain that a compliant will is urgent for happiness, for freedom, and for liberty. It's a mistake for anyone to think that the less restraints he has upon him, the freer he is, if the restraints are holy restraints dictated by the God of heaven himself. In fact, it's not a mistake. It is the worst mistake that one can make. It's near fatal, an error <coughs> such as that. Now, there's another aspect of this. There are sometimes, well, those of you who are parents and have raised children and have small children, uh, one of the one of the single favorite questions of a child when you tell them to do or not do something, when you give them an order, a commandment, is why? Isn't it? The question, why? Yet, when you tell your child or told your child to not do something that you knew would ultimately be dangerous for them, or not do something which you knew if they were if they were allowed to continue to do it would develop a, a habit which would be bad for them, would cause them grief and difficulty later in life. When, when, when you train your child that way, or when you were trained that way by your parents, you need to know and understand that the end result is that you are a freer person, or your child is a freer person, than if you did not do it at all. There was no training. If, if, every, if every progeny, in every family, was left to his own devices and received no training in order to make him an acceptable person to society or to his family or to his employer, if he had no training at all, I ask you this question. Would that child grow up to be a free person? Would he be truly free? And the answer is no, he would not. He would be in bondage to his very self, to his own whims, and his own anger, one will grow up to be very angry when one has not been trained to be otherwise. Yeah. At any rate, obeying God when we don't understand really is, truly is freedom. Uh, I was reminded as I was, I was uh, studying about this, I'll just tell you this story. Da it's a Bible story about David when he was king. He wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into, into Jerusalem. You may remember this. And was the house of Obed, and he was anxious to get the ark, and so he sent out for the ark, and, they, and the folks went to get it, and they, uh, God had, had strictly prescribed how it was that the ark of the covenant was to be transported. There were ring staves on the side of it, and there were staves that would be slid through it, and there were Levites who were supposed to carry it, certain Levites of, of, the, of a Levitical clan that was ordained unto that work, and to that work alone, to transport the ark, care for the ark in its transportation. And, and he sent he sent Uriah and some other men with a, an ox cart and some oxen. And they put the 
the ark on the ox cart, and they began to transport it toward the city of Jerusalem. And along the way, a wheel from the ox cart hit a stone and tipped a little bit, and the ark began to slide off. One of the men walking alongside Uriah laid his hand up just to keep it from sliding off and dropped dead instantly. It had such an impact, that action, that the ark stayed right where it was onto a threshing floor and stayed there until David finally realized that he had made a serious mistake. When he did finally bring the ark back to Jerusalem, he did it the way God had ordained and commanded that it ought to be done. Not, you know, the question has to be asked, what possible difference could it make? Whether that ark was carried on staves by Levites or on an ox cart drawn by oxen. What, what the end result would have been the same. It would have gotten to Jerusalem. And yet God was displeased to such an extent that his commandment, his revealed will, was disobeyed. Such a minor point. It's important for we as Baptists, the, the way we think and the way we believe, that we understand that there are no such thing, there is no such thing as a minor point when it comes to obedience. So we do things a certain way. For example, we use we have our, our communion is is closed is open to members only, and we use wine in the Lord's Supper, and we use unleavened bread in the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. Well, to others it would make any difference if you use bananas and crackers, and and grape juice or some other fluid, because to them it's not important. But to God's people, to Baptist people, those things are important because God has said that that's the way it ought to be. And while it may be true that others will say you're quibbling over minute details, the fact is that obeying God about things that sometimes we even don't understand nevertheless produces freedom for us. We are a free people. It may look to others as though we are very much under the yoke, but we are a free people because when one obeys God, that is true freedom. And it produces true freedom. God is infallible in his instructions. And his instructions are never wrong. We are never free to disobey God because we don't understand. Now, the big problem, of course, comes from if, if all of his commandments are obeyable, why do we have such difficulty doing it? Well, I explained some of the reasons why we have difficulty, but, but let me tell you that I recognize, and so does God recognize, that the human frame being what it is, there are sometimes temptations coming along, which come along even from true, in, in the lives of true consecrated believers that need to be overcome. And, and, and for me to stand here and tell you it's all very easy uh, is not entirely accurate, but I can tell you this, they're all doable. They, every commandment of God is obeyable. Uh, as difficult as that may sound, they are obeyable. I'd like you to turn finally to Romans, the fifth chapter. Starting with the 19th verse, reading through uh, uh, 21, the last three verses of this chapter, reading from the King James, for as, one by, as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, and that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteous, righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What this verse says, the essence of it, is that before 
redeeming salvation in Jesus Christ. God's commandments weren't obeyable. We were under the condemnation of our disobedience, as all men are. But that when Christ draws his elect unto himself, and their sins are covered by his blood, grace abounds, not just to the point of forgiveness. Grace abounds to the point of strength. If, if, if salvation simply was, oh yeah, the automatic has happened to you, you are now saved and going to heaven, go on with your life as though nothing else has ever happened, nothing has ever happened. That would be a, that would be a tragedy of the worst sort. But grace abounds. Grace abounds unto, unto uh, the removal of condemnation, and grace abounds unto the strength to obey. And that's what this passage of Scripture really has said. Death reigned unto, uh, sin reigned unto death, so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where, where sin had its grip, grace has its release. Where sin makes a prisoner, grace makes a free person. Where sin would, would stifle and control, grace gives liberty and freedom. Don't let anyone tell you that obeying God is a loss of liberty. Obeying God is liberty, and we need to remember that. Now let's pray. Dear Father,